0: the year draws to a close, we continue what's become an annual tradition and look back on the year in biotech and head to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and beyond with Adam Feuerstein, senior biotech writer for Stat News. Adam tries to make sense of a puzzling year for biotech that seemed full of contradictions, offers some thoughts on the highs and lows of the past 12 months, and discusses what he'll be watching for during the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, Danny, I feel like we do this every year, right? We do this uh, every year. I can tell it's Christmas now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about the year that wasn't biotech the good, the bad, the ugly, and what's in store in the year ahead let's start with 2018 Uh, a year ago i i think the mood was pretty good lots of money and innovation a tax package that was going to boost stock prices an fda that was taking steps to lower barriers to approval and yet for the year the biotech indices are down as you kids on the twitter machine would say wtf how'd we (laughs) get here and where exactly are we yeah
1: uh, WTF exclamation point, exclamation point, I think, is where we are. Um, you know, all those things that you said uh, kind of happened, right? I mean, the the sector was uh, awash in cash, like lots and lots and lots of money pouring in to, particularly on the private side, Uh, you know, record numbers of IPOs, uh, record numbers of drug approvals, you know, the kind of the science side of biotech seems to sort of kind of march on, but yet, um, you know... Like you said, Danny, and, 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 you know, well put is, you know, the stocks are, stocks are crashing essentially. I mean, as we, you know, you and I are talking, uh, on the Friday before Christmas and it's like every single day the market is down. Now, you know, a lot of that is tied to sort of macro factors, right? So, you know, the, the the overall market is is getting hammered uh and so it's taking biotech stocks down with it. Um but even before that, you know, we've had this significant downturn in biotech stocks that basically started um kind of towards the end of the summer and it's kind of just just continued and it has not stopped. So, that will sour the mood heading into JP Morgan
0: Well, you mentioned it was a a big year for funding, uh, a strong year for IPOs. I I, I think the topper is Moderna. What do you make of the Moderna IPO and, and its valuation?
1: Well, I, I think uh, on on one side you can say that the fact that they went out public uh, at an extremely high valuation, they were able to do that, you know, in the beginning of December, you know, amidst all of this kind of market t- turmoil, you know, kind of shows the strength of the offering. You know, it, did, it you know it certainly helped that they had ten investment banks supporting the IPO. Uh, you know, since the deal since the deal went out and priced, you know, the the stock has gotten you know has it's has gone, it's gone down quite a bit. Um, so you know they've broken price and uh, it it's, it continues to fall along with everything else. So you know what does that say? You know is there a broader is there a broader story there? And it may be just that uh, investors are sort of exhausted when it comes to IPOs. And I think that maybe the IPO window is if it's not fully shut, it's almost completely shut, and you know, we may see sort of a pause in biotech IPOs starting in 2019. Which you know honestly, Danny. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, there have been so many new companies gone public in 2018 that personally, I can't keep track of them all, and I, I've talked to investors who have the same problem. There's just, it, there's, all, there's too many companies out there, you know, and, and in, in some ways that's good for entrepreneurship, and it's good for, you know, it shows you that there's lots of interesting science going on, but, you know, from an investor's standpoint, it's just hard to keep track of all these companies and what they're doing, and I think that that reflects, you know, that's reflected in kind of the underperformance of a, a lot of the biotech IPOs of 2018.
0: I think overall M&A activity failed to excite investors and, and the tax package didn't translate into unleashing the buying power of big pharma and big biotech is that going to change in 2019?
1: Well, I think what ended up happening and it was sort of everyone's fear is that, you know, the sort of the tax packages that were were that were legislated into law this year, you know, what what, what companies ended up doing was is just buying back their stock. Right? We saw a record amount. I don't know if it's a record amount, but we saw a significant increase in the amount of share repurchases, you know, across, across a lot of industries, but particularly in biopharma. Uh, and so all that money that they, that they saved on taxes, they ended up buying back their stock. They didn't end up buying a lot of smaller biotech companies, which is kind of what people expected or wanted to see. So I would say, I would agree with you that, you know, kind of M&A, was a disappointment in 2018. It certainly never got to the level that people thought it would, you know, a, a year ago. Um, whether that changes in 2019, you know, I, I, I don't know, my crystal ball, I, I have no idea. Uh, valuations are certainly a lot lower right now, which, you know, which sort of suggests that, well, you know, companies that have still have a lot of money to spend can now buy companies a little bit less, less. you know, they're less expensive. Um but at the same time, it's hard because I think from, a, you know, the companies who, you know, had valuations that were at super high valuations last summer now are looking at maybe being taken out at, you know, at lower prices. And that's sometimes hard for uh, for the seller to kind of stomach.
0: Going into 2018, it was going to be the year of immunotherapy combinations. Any winners emerging in your mind in that regard?
1: Uh No. They were all losers <laughs> i I think it was a you know i think it, we, we've talked about this internally uh, at stat we were talking about this, and you know I, it was a tough year for cancer immunotherapy, um, you know other than kind of the card you know the CAR T approvals were great and but the launches of those you know the sort of cell therapies for cancer have been lackluster and then kind of on the solid tumor side you know cancer immunotherapy you know the whole idea that we're going to sort of have these combination therapies that are going to bring immunotherapies to more patients, more effective therapies, just has not it, – it it just didn't materialize, I think, in 2018 the way people had hoped it would. The data just seems sort of lackluster. Uh, you know, the biggest failure in 2018 was, you know, Insight's Ido inhibitor, you know, combined with Keytruda, that big phase three study, failed. Um, and then, like, since then, we just haven't seen anything that's gotten people really excited. So, you know, it's not, it's not dead. I mean, it's not like at the end of the story. And obviously, you know, we'll see a lot more data. Uh, it's just one of those things where 2018 just kind of fell flat.
0: Well, to get on this call, one of the things I had to do was put down the ICER report on spinal muscular atrophy that just came out. This was one of the exciting developments of the past year, the progress with gene therapies, We've had controversy over the pricing of drugs like Biogen Spinraza, generated with its high price tag. But we've got Novartis now moving towards an approval with a gene therapy, quite possibly in the first quarter of 2019. That could blow the doors off previous pricing discussions. Where do you see that going?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about you know with the Novartis product. You know, pricing—you know, maybe two million, maybe as much as four or five million per patient. Uh, these are one-time—you know, these are one-time treatments. Uh, that's going to be tough for—that's going to be tough to handle. Uh, you know, it's—and that's the conundrum with these gene therapies, right? They're like—they're almost mir- they are miraculous treatments in some respects. Um, you know, they—they—they're life-saving, they're life-changing for a lot of patients uh, with rare inherited diseases. But how we pay for those, uh, how, how we pay for gene therapy, how we pay for cellular therapies, uh, is still very much up in the air. And like you, you know, you alluded to the ICER report on SMA, um, you know, even if an, even if these things are kind of deemed to be cost effective, you know, because, uh, because of sort of their life-changing, uh, you know, uh, the, the ability to kind of save a life, you know, especially when it comes to SMA with, you know, Infants or young children um you know cost effective doesn't mean that they're going to be affordable or that that we're going to be able to sort of figure out how to pay for these collectively um and that's the struggle um and I think it's the you know it's you just have to watch what happens you know through two thousand and nineteen to see you know because as more of these gene therapies make their way through clinical trials and ultimately get approved um it's a big open question about how we how we kind of deal with that i don't I don't think anyone's quite figured it out.
0: ASH is not too far behind us right now. Was, was gene therapy the big story out of ASH this year?
1: Um, gene therapy is always kind of a big story, you know, especially as it sort of relates to kind of blood diseases like beta thalassemia and sickle cell, and that continues to progress um you know maybe the bigger story for me out of ash was kind of the the rise or the sort of the, the coming out party of the bi-specific uh, antibodies and these are kind of a different way of attacking cancer uh and sort of seen as kind of a comp- competition to CAR T potentially, maybe uh, easier to manufacture, potentially cheaper. Uh, you know, there are definitely some pros and cons there, uh, but I, you know, you saw a lot of interesting data out coming out on buy specifics uh, from multiple companies, and I think that's something to watch.
0: The threat over price controls has, has long been uh, an annual issue for, for the company, for the industry. I, I think the industry has learned to ignore many of the proclamations made by trump but we've got democratics taking control of the house a, a long list of progressive presidential candidates looking for headlines is this going to become a, a point of vulnerability in 2019 finally
1: yeah i think it's i think the whole pricing thing is definitely an overhang it remains an overhang over the industry uh you know, look, the midterm election, you know, Democrats basically ran on a health care strategy, you know, sort of fears of having people's health care taken away. Uh, drug pricing is part of that. So I think the fact that the Democrats took the House, uh, you, you'll probably end up seeing in January. Moving forward, you're going to see uh, a lot of pharma executives dragged in front of Congress. Uh, and, you know, and while that's kind of political theater, you know, it does sort of create uh, it does create a concern. Um, and, you know, and at the end of the day, I think drug pricing is also a, it's a bipartisan issue. And I think we're sort of, we've sort of gotten used to, uh, unfortunately, we've gotten used to, you know, kind of pi- partisan divide in Washington leading to gridlock and basically nothing happening. But, you know, drug pricing is one of those issues that where, you know, you've got Republicans and Democrats who both, uh, you know, to some extent agree. And so, you know, if... It, could see sort of, uh, you know, you could sort of see the two sides coming together to draft legislation. And, you know, certainly there there are proposals that are out there, uh, bills that have been proposed and submitted. So um, I, I wouldn't say that nothing is going to happen. I think that that's that would be, that would sort of be foolish to believe that, you know, that that nothing at all will, ha- will come of any
0: of this. Well, this, of course, is a time of year for Naughty and Nice List. You once again provided your poll on the best and worst biotech CEOs of 2018, uh, the best this year, Vertex CEO Jeff Lydon took the top honors. What's the yes. case for Lydon?
1: You know, I, I think, you know, Jeff kind of won, Jeff Lydon won Vertex. He won my Best Biopharma CEO of the Year award, you know, mainly because of the sort of the way that Vertex has executed uh in developing these sort of these sort of life-changing cystic fibrosis drugs uh you know the the latest uh, the latest uh, triple combination regimen that that uh passed through that's first phase 3 study late this year and will, will will be approved next year you know with that and combined with other products you know they can potentially address like Basically, up to like ninety percent of all cystic fibrosis patients, um, and that's you know, and they've done it. They've done it incredibly well with very few sort of setbacks or hiccups, and um, and so for that reason, I think you know uh, that Jeff, you know, well, you know, the uh, giving him that award was well deserved. You know, I think among uh, among sort of the largest companies, the largest biotech companies, you know, Vertex has just performed exceedingly well.
0: And on the list of worst CEOs, Mark Ells of Celgene won the dishonors. It, it's kind of amazing to consider that Celgene was not long ago a biotech darling among investors. What went wrong?
1: Yeah, I. You know, you're right, Danny. The and that's what strikes me about Celgene too is like, you know, a perennial favorite, top performer in among among biotech companies, and then just to see them fall so far and so quickly. Is really shocking to see, you know, how far they're down this year and just all the problems. And, and a lot of it just stems from, a lot of it just stems from poor execution and just the fact that there's this overriding concern at cell gene that, you know, that Revlimed, which is their, you know, their market leading multiple myeloma drug, is, you know, the, they they are going to lose patent protection on that drug eventually. And people look at that company and they see this sort of basically this patent clip, this revenue clip coming and there's not enough in the pipeline to replace the billions of dollars that are generated from revlimid sales um, and despite the fact that Celgene has like been a prodigious like partner partner company you know partner with other companies they've got drugs in their pipeline it's not like they're it's not like they're doing like you know horribly bad and all their drugs are getting you know they're failing clinical trials and stuff but there's just not been enough and the deals that they do, people are just people are really concerned. Um and so, yeah, the stock has gotten really destroyed this year and um to the point where like nothing that they do seems to matter uh, on the positive side and people are not happy with Mark Alice as their CEO. So he wins uh he wins the worst uh worst biopharma CEO of two thousand
0: eighteen. Yeah, one of the most interesting stories of the year to me was Ameren's success. Now, I'm wondering if there are lessons there you would draw for other biopharmas.
1: Yeah, I mean that is definitely one of the more, one of the better and more interesting stories of 2018. Uh, you know, and I think the lessons there are probably, you know. Uh, of persistence and just sort of sticking to it. You know, th- there were probably times, you know, five years ago or so where Amarin could have just given up on their, you know, on Fazepa, which is, you know, their drug that's derived, uh, from fish oil. And they could have just, you know, been content to kind of sell it into the limited market for where they had approval. Um, but yet, you know, they sort of, again, they persisted, um, they persevered, uh, you know, so they ran a very, data. very large, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I said they got good data. I mean, they I got good data. Well, ultimately, right. But
1: my, but to get to that point, right? They had to they had to spend a lot of money, and and run a very long and large clinical trial, and you know, and kind of just prove the doubters wrong, right? Because you know, up until up till we saw that the, the Amarin data this fall, you know, basically every large clinical trial, cardiovascular outcomes trial of a of a fish oil type drug had failed. Right? There was like a preponderance of medical evidence showing that these types of drugs really were not going to provide significant clinical outcomes or benefit for, for patients. Um, and so Amarin proved people wrong, or the doubters wrong. And so it you know it definitely is one of the more interesting and kind of positive stories coming out of coming out of this year.
0: Um the acquisition front Stat got some attention when it stagged Matthew Harper from Forbes. That's good news for Stat, but to harp on kind of a theme of mine, I think we've seen a big loss in mainstream publications' ability to cover this industry and and understand complex issues that affect a, a big chunk of our economy and everyone's everyday lives. What's your take on the state of journalism and its coverage of biotech and healthcare more broadly?
1: given that I, given that I pushed internally to, to have Matt Herper uh, join stat, I'm particularly pleased <laughs> that that Matt is joining us. But and you're I a think Yankee fan and
0: you've always had a Yankees mentality. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. So,
1: well, yeah, I mean, no, we, no, we're owned by, you know, we're owned by John Henry who owns the Red Sox. So I can't really use the Yankees analogy, um, too freely in the office. <laughs> so, you know, I try to be sensitive to that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, look, I, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I think that there are plenty of, plenty of places where, you know, healthcare is discussed. I'd like to think that, you know, at STAT, we try to serve many different readers. You know, we, you know, we, we, we write for a general audience. Uh, we write for a, sort of a more special, specialized audience. Um, I think Matt is going to do a great job for us, and I'm really excited to, to have him start. Uh, writing for us at the beginning of the year, um, so you know, as it as it relates to that. But I also think that you know, there we have competition that has also strengthened. You know, I think the Wall Street Journal has got a great team. Uh, you know, I you know, look, Business Insider is a company that has really beefed up its healthcare coverage, and I think they've got a strong group of editors and writers over there as well. So you know. Uh, you know if you 're kind of talking about whether like you have free media versus uh you know sort of paywalled media um, you know that's that 's a question of economics of the industry and I think uh from journalism you know we for a long time we gave away our content uh believing that advertising was going to pay the bills and that 's just not that 's just not viable anymore and and we and you know and as a result we 've had like you know layoffs and newspapers shutting down um you know stat like other publications have paywalls and we we believe strongly in them and we believe that, you know, journalism isn't free and that it should be paid for uh, and that what we do costs money. And so we try to, you know, we, we believe people should pay for it. And, um, and I think that, you know, the success of companies like that, I mean, we're growing and our subscriptions are growing. Uh, and I think that's a recognition that, you know, we're doing good work.
0: I also think journalism is healthier when it's paid for by subscribers rather than advertisers.
1: Yeah, uh, and I agree with you, and I, and I think that's why you know you have to you know look you have to have a mix. I mean, and that has a mix. We have you know we have f- stories that are free. We have we have stories that are that are behind our paywall, and I think the you know our subscription is our you know the the number of subscribers we have is growing uh, as a result of the fact that you know we have quality work and people uh, are willing to pay for that. So we appreciate that.
0: J.P. Morgan's kicking off on uh, January 7th in San Francisco. This is where the industry goes to see if it sees its own shadow. What are you going to be watching this year's conference? Well, I
1: joked on Twitter the other day that I thought that J.P. Morgan might want to have uh, grief counselors and therapy dogs in the (laughs) lobby of the Westin. I think everyone's going to gather there and and be a little shell-shocked at kind of you know this this turnaround I mean unless there's sort of this miraculous turnaround next week in 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 stock prices that it's going to be you know a little bit of a dorow move. It, it reminds me a lot of kind of two thousand and sixteen you know which is was another year where you know we entered uh, the the j p morgan world you know the beginning of January with stocks in free fall uh and so you know it was it's tough uh so I think that's kind of the mood. The mood will be pretty grim going in, and then it all depends on kind of how companies position themselves uh, for you know in terms of their outlooks for 2019, and whether or not we hear a lot of uh, interesting news. You know, maybe some deals. You know, companies always tend to seem to sort of pocket something to, to, to talk about in that first uh, in that first couple weeks of January. So you know, that could help kind of shift things around.
0: And Stat's going to have a, a quite a presence this year. What what should people be looking for? Uh,
1: yeah, we're, we're we're flooding the zone. <laughs> we're flooding San Francisco with uh, people. Yeah, so uh, the entire biotech team will be out uh, in San Francisco for Stat covering covering JP Morgan. So it'll be me and Damian, Rebecca, uh, Matt will be out there starting out for us, and then Ed. Silverman, who covers, uh, you know, covers pharma for us, will be out there, too. Um, so, yeah, so we're covering it. You know, We've got a newsletter, uh, a daily newsletter, uh, you know, our, basically our readout, uh, a regular readout newsletter, email newsletter that goes out usually every morning will kind of be uh, repositioned, and we put that on every afternoon to kind of give everyone an idea of what's going on. Um, and then we're doing an event um, at the Biotech Showcase Conference on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Rebecca, Damien, and I will be kind of just basically telling people, what's happened during that week. Um, and then there's also, I should say, a special uh Readout Loud podcast that is being planned for uh, the week at J.P. Morgan, so I would uh, watch out for that. Hopefully we can make that happen, but if we do, it'll be pretty cool.
0: And the Stat Lounge? And the Stat Lounge, right. <laughs> Sandy, thank you.
1: You're, you're helping there me you out go. here. Uh, right. So, And, and, and we, last year we had this great thing, like, for stat plus subscribers, for our subscribers. We basically kind of had this sort of WeWork-type space that our subscribers could kind of come and hang out to. It's close to Union Square. Um, and it's just an air place where, like, you can come, you know, charge your phone. You can have a meeting. You can just, you know, get some work done. Um, and it was really popular last year with our subscribers, and so we're doing it again this year. And all that information on kind of how to sign up for that. Is uh, on, Stats, uh, on Stats' homepage. You can, you can find that at Stats' uh, webpage.
0: Adam Feuerstein, senior biotech writer for Stat News, known to his friends as at Adam Feuerstein. Adam, thanks as always.
1: Danny, it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week,